Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, David Edelstein of New York Magazine, NPR Fresh Air, and CBS Sunday Morning, and tonight's guest, director Lee Hirsch. Thank you all for coming. This thing is breaking. Now, the reason that it's breaking, as we know, this incredible double-edged sword. On one hand, you've got the MPAA giving the movie uh, an R rating because it has six, uh, I believe, six F words or six four-letter words as opposed to four, which is the limit. Well, one may be the limit, but does anyone right. really know what the limit is? Um, oh, they, they, haven't, they haven't spelled that out? Well, they, they say it's, it's one, but it's, then, they, then they hem and haw on the type that it is and the context. I think there's no clear, actual, solid, solid line. I think it gets, it gets fudged all the time. I don't want to get all... Um, I don't want to get too much into the legalism thing, but I do remember Albert Brooks when he got an R for Lost in America, because in one scene his character is really manic and quits his job and uh, he gets fired and he comes into his wife's office and he says, uh, come on, come on, let's close the door, I want to fuck you over this desk. And he got an R rating and they said, and that was the only thing. That was thing. the wrong fuck. Well, he said, um, why did I get the R rating? And they said, well, because fuck was used in a sexual context. And he said, so if I had said to her, I want to fuck you over with this desk, I would get a PG-13? And they said, yes. Or, or the, ultimate, the ultimate irony is like, so okay, so if you're allowed one fuck, we're now we're really on a, on a, on a, on a roll here. Um, I've been doing such like, all this media where like, we're talking about this and I can't use it. So I'm coming up with all these ways of saying it other than saying it. But if, if one is okay, right? But then, what if you see the movie twice? <laughs> then, yeah, then, then they're already screwed. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Really We've had an interesting yeah. ride with this whole rating thing. I mean, it's obviously amplified our film. Um, and I think it's also kind of brought out some of the sort of hypocrisy uh, or the brokenness in the rating system. Well, I know uh, Harvey Weinstein has made hay, has gotten great copy out of the fact that of all the movies to be opening the week beforehand is The Hunger Games, in which more than 20 minors murder each other uh, on screen, and he has a, a PG-13, even with all the, you know, it's PG-13 splatter, but it's still splatter. And this yeah. is a few, uh, you know, whereas, and, and I guess people have said, well, you know, you you know, you can't, this is the law, and you can't make exceptions, or you're gonna to have to make exceptions for everybody, right? What, what does that argument mean to you? Well, you know, I think it's part of that sort of ridiculousness. Um, there are many, many, many notable exceptions on even language when it comes to ratings. Um, certainly, I think we know that, like, studio pictures often get a pass, particularly with, um, Hyperviolence, hypersexualized violence. Uh, you know, the problem. You know, for me, Hunger Games. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure it's an entertaining, great movie. Is that it, it? It puts violence in this context of sexiness. You know, it's it's cool. It's like hyper cool, sexy violence, which is like a lot of what some of these bigger action studio movies are, and that's that's cool. I like them too, but. Then you sort of look at a movie like this, getting you know, getting this you know this, this rating, and it's it's that it's that who what America are they speaking for? You know, they all they often talk about well, you know, parents are going to be upset with us if we you know rate this, if we if we don't uphold our standards. But then, don't you think parents are pissed off about that double standard? That actually they're saying what you're what you're what you're um, saying is okay for our kids, is is ultra violence. But you're saying this isn't okay. So they're making that judgment on behalf of the parents of America who are, I think, have risen up in the case of our film, half a million of kids and families and parents who've said that's crap. So, you know, it's been, it's been totally insane to be the filmmaker kind of riding this wave. Um, but it's certainly, as you said, it's like amplified the profile of the film. Yeah, everybody, everybody wants to, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because I think, uh, you know, having seen the film, that it should be shown in schools. It should be shown in every school. Um, Thank to, you. Well, I think that there's something to be said for sensitizing people and, and encouraging them to develop empathy. But also, this is what I wanted to ask you about, maybe stigmatizing bullying. Maybe, maybe actually making it uncool, really uncool to be a bully. 
Um, would you like to see bullying stigmatized in that way? Oh, Did you hope to do that with I'd the film? I'd be delighted to see it stigmatized in that way. I think that would be amazing. I mean, you know, the, 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 there's a part of me that, like the filmmaker in me sort of cringes every time everyone says this should be seen in, by every school and student because it feels like it's, double, it's sort of almost saying this is like an educational film. And it is in a way, but I certainly didn't make it to be, you know, I didn't, I, I'd like to, people, if I'd like filmgoers to go see this movie too and to talk about it and to interact with it. Um, but I think the effect that it's having on audiences, it, it, it's leaving them with that feeling like they're talking about it. Certainly the youth audiences that have seen it have engaged with it, but it, it sort of works across the lines. Um, and that's great. I mean, I, you know, the last thing I'll say about Hunger Games is, you know, people have been writing me and saying, this is ridiculous. My whole, my kid's whole school is going, paid for by the district, to go see Hunger Games. <laughs> but, you know, they're saying that now they don't know about their plans for bully because of this rating and da da da. So it's gonna, I think ultimately it, it's hurt us um, on that level. Yeah, I don't want to say too much more about the ratings board, but here's the irony as I see it. The Hunger Games has a PG-13 rating by softening the cruelty. Uh, not just the, go the, the gore, but, but simply the cruelty by making the violence go down easier. Uh, so by making violence easier, less traumatizing, they're making it suitable for kids, but showing it how it is. Even showing, you know, someone, someone tortured, you know, on a school bus is somehow considered so cruel that children can't see it, where that's, I mean, there's this par central paradox They haven't there commented violence. on the violence in our film. The MPA had nothing to say about anything other than language. Because, I mean, clearly we didn't rise to the bar of a violent film. They know from violent films. Yeah. You know, that's maybe, that's the sort of flip of that. Well, to hell with the MPAA. We'll come back to it after we, um, uh, you know, talk about what's next. But let me, let me play devil's advocate a little bit here because the film is... Uh, one reason I say it should be shown in schools is that I think of its agitprop. I think it's a movie, it has a point of view, it has a message. Go to this website, do this, you know, raise consciousness. It's not what I would call um, a profound drama insofar as you don't introduce other points of view. Uh, for example, uh -huh. there's no one to say, look. So I'll say it. I don't believe it, but I'll say it. Look, kids... People say kids will be kids. They, they say that in the, in the movie. But this is how kids develop, character, develop strength of character and courage. They're thrown into something. You know, they have to fight their way to, to earn respect from people. You know, it's character building. It helps them. It's Darwinian. Um, you know, it's the, the selfish gene. It, it, helps them, it helps them become stronger and more self-reliant. It discourages tattletales parental intervention, really, you know, can't we just leave things as they are? Ooh. Uh, hell no. Uh, we can't leave things as they are. And I think that um, my father saw the world that way, um, sees the world that way. He's, he's going to be 93, um, fought in World War II. And absolutely, that was, you know, when I was bullied, that was the sort of perspective, you know, that was what came back at me when I was seeking support or help. I think that there's a certain amount of that social climbing and that ordering that's probably normal and inevitable and perhaps healthy. I'm not some, I don't, definitely don't have like a um, doctor or things at the end of my name to help me make claims like this. But um, I think that what we've seen is that We've dismissed this for so long as a society. We've carried these, these um, labels, these ideas, this conversation has been um, shrouded in that sort of language. That for so, you know, and, and, and I think the end result of that is that you have millions upon millions upon millions of people, generation after generation, that have taken this abuse on, internalized it, and felt like they actually don't even have a right to speak of it because it's you know it's that it's that sort of thing that you're battling against, and I and I and I hope that that's aside from the rating and all this other kind of noise around the film, I hope that at its core that's what that's who this film's talking to, 
is all those folks that have those stories, that have been through that, that have never felt like they had a voice before. Well, was this a way of speaking to your father, this movie? Yeah, if he wasn't senile, maybe. Um, perhaps, I mean, it's a way of speaking to my father and, and, and other fathers, I would say. Are you a dad? I'm not a dad. Well, you know, you send your kids out, you see your kids in, in those home movies, you see, them, you see them so radiant and so, so sweet and so open, and you send them out the door to school, and you just, you just pray that when they come home, something is not going to have um, hardened, hardened that, you know? Um, yeah, I can't imagine. It's every, it's every parent's nightmare. I mean, we, I mean, yeah, I mean, David Long, you just look at his eyes and you're almost finished right there. And then you see his child and that family. And um, in, in editing this film, we, that was in and out many, many times at the top of the film. Um, and, you know, I think the, the sort of, the reason why it starts the film is that we wanted to set the stakes right from the beginning. So I think that what that, what that did for the, for the experience of the film is it allows, it sort of, it, it, it sort of in a way, it begins, to, it sort of crushes some of those arguments right from the beginning. Um, I hope it's not seen as manipulative. I think that it wasn't, I know it wasn't put in there to do that. It was, done, it was put in there to like make it very clear what was at stake in this movie so that audiences understood what was on the line. Because ultimately I think, I didn't realize how sort of, how the mounting suicides that we were learning about would inform the filmmaking or the actual making, you know, the, the, the narratives that we chose for the film. Um, or what, what was playing out because, I mean, in the movie you meet two families that lost their boys. And in production I filmed with five. And that was just a sort of a small piece of what I learned about that school year alone. So it, it, it became very relevant um, for the film. And you, you avoided the more notorious cases. Uh, by, the, by the way, I think it was manipulative, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think there, is, okay. there has to be manipulation if you want to drive home your point. But uh, you, you avoided some of the more notorious cases, the, uh, the, the bullying, the, the girl who hung herself after she was, uh, after someone impersonated uh, a boy. Um, Megan Meyer. Yeah, did yeah. You, was there, did, did, you, did you not want to sort of go through the litany of all the other examples and... I just didn't want to make an academic film. I didn't want to... Um, I've had this happen to me before where I'm, I'm nervous about the film, so I overcompensate by filming experts, and the more confident I become in the material, the more those fall away. Um, and that was very much the case with this film, is that the more we saw what our narrative was, that we had strong scenes, that we had an arc, that we had story. The idea of this sort of like academic, you know, when, when the movie started, actually, it was going to be this very big, broad look at bullying. It was going to be much more academic and uh, philosophical and travel from this notion of what happens on the playground, carries into our adult lives, into the work world, into uh, politics into international relations, this concept of are we a bullying nation? What are, you know, all of this, you know, it was, it was at one point this big, large survey or, or, or intellectual pursuit. And once we saw, you know, once we started um, feeling and, and, and interacting and seeing these stories, all of that just, just dropped off the map. Um, so there you have it. I think for the better. Uh, I want to ask you, let's show this next scene and I want to talk about it afterwards. It's the handshake, right? Yeah. So okay. now we're going to go inside um, the school that we were embedded in for the, for the school year. I think, wait, we have to say one thing about this. We've seen on the school bus uh, the kid in, the kid in, in this uh, scene pounding on <clears throat> the young boy, Alex. No, you, no, you have not. Him? This is the only time you see these two students. Oh, okay. It's just one moment that we caught Oh, this isn't Alex. No. Oh, sorry. Okay. All right. 
I'm going to ask you guys to shake hands. Can you do that? Yeah. Shake hands. Cole. Cole. You are not going anywhere. He is offering his hand and let this drop. You may go. Cole. I expected more. He was trying to say he was sorry. He already did and he didn't mean it. You, you, know what? you didn't mean it when you stuck your hand out either. You're just like him. I'm trying to put it through the wall, trying to break it off, trying to just dab you and kill okay. you. He apologized. And have you reported all that sort of stuff? Yeah. I think you guys might be really good friends at some time. What do you see when you when you watch? This? I see this like tremendous disconnect between kids and adults. Um, I see uh, bravery, um, and I see incompetence. I see you know uh, a rush to judge that situation as conflict and make it go away. Um, and this assistant principal should have known better. She should, I mean, that's absolutely wrong the way that was handled. Uh, I think that's the kind of little thing that happens a million times a day across our country. That exact type of exchange that makes that student not want to go and ask for help. Because what you hear him say is, I've reported it. I've done what I was supposed to do. I went to the police. I did this. I did that. And it wasn't taken care of. So that comes up a couple of times, this question to kids of, do you, you know, later on in the film, another assistant principal says, do you trust us when we say that we'll take care of it, that will be taken care of? And the seventh grader says, no, I do not. Because when it happened before, you told me that and it didn't stop. And this is a, I think this is, a, this, is a, this, this, this is the back language of this movie, is this back and forth between kids and adults, where they're getting the truth, and the adults are seeing a totally parallel, different universe. That's not even the thing that made me upset about that scene. What made me upset about that scene was she said that they were equivalent. She said that he was just like the person who was bullying him. Right. And... Um, you know, I'm sorry, this is going to sound terrible, but that's the thing that makes kids go home and pick up a gun. When an adult, when an adult who is supposed to be this, you know, voice from on high, this justice, this force for justice, says so, reads it so wrongly, and, and, and follows it with an accusation that is so crazy, I mean, it, it, makes a, it makes a child think that there, there is no God, essentially. There is no, there is no justice, right. you know. Um, I was just reading Richard III the other day, and Richard III's whole rationale was that he was bullied for his deformity, and now he, the world wouldn't, wouldn't pay him any respect, would just, just threw slings and arrows at him, and he was going to take his revenge on the world. Mm. And, I mean, that's, that's actually what happens in another part of this movie, right? Or, in a way. Well, we go Fortunately, we don't, have a vi we don't have actually anybody killed, but there was a scene that got hairy. So what is it that we say? So, so this is um, playing that out further, is if you're being bullied in an extreme way, right, and you cannot get an adult to act on your behalf, you cannot find help, you're, you have three options. You take this, this is what, this is the overall, it's the overarching sadness. Is you, you take it, which is what 90%, 99, 99% of kids that are bullied do, is they take it and they wear it and they carry it and they survive and they live to end up as filmmakers. Um, or on the far spectrum, they try to hurt themselves, they cut themselves, they attempt suicide, some succeed. Or what's the other option? You know, they say, Secret Service has said that in, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like somewhere between 70 and 90, I can, I'm gonna get the statistic wrong, but that like, in the majority of school shootings, the shooters were bullied. 
So where do you go if you can't get help and you're being what equates to torture? I mean, I just, I, I just did an interview this morning with um, Carrie Kennedy, and she has a very powerful human rights organization. And she said, and I said, and I said, thank God we're finally talking about this as a human rights issue. Why is this not a human rights issue? Why is not Amnesty International talking about bullying? Why are we not addressing that there are millions of people that are dealing with this in a very systematic, repetitive way? I mean, if, you know, the other truth is that if this happened to you or I on the street, we would call the police and they would arrest the person that was tormenting us. Or they would give you a restraining order and you would have all sorts of rights and tools at your disposal to make it stop. And for some of these kids, they just don't have that support. Okay, were you tempted, did you want to um, follow the, the kid who was doing the bullying and ask him why he was, I mean, one of the, the things that doesn't happen in the film is you don't get any bully sitting down and saying, oh, you know, this is what I was thinking when I punched that son of a bitch. The uh, strange thing is when you talk to them, they're like, the, there's like these little angels. Just like he was there. It was, yeah. They're like, you know, and you see it a little bit in that scene when the kids are, are called in and disciplined or so-called disciplined for beating up Alex. And, um, you know, ultimately I think that at that point I saw the narrative so clearly as like seeing the world, walking the world in the shoes of these families and kids. So you, you're, you're, you're an observer, but you're seeing what they have access to. So when an adult says it's taken care of, you trust, you know, you have to trust whether it's taken care of or not. You know, that you just don't, you have, you know, to me it was about being um, in that journey and seeing it from that perspective. And I think in a way, maybe it's because I just didn't understand that I had more access to the emotional story of those that are bullied, that, that that's where the, the stories landed for me. There is a weird chain. I mean, as somebody who was, who was bullied a little bit, um, not surprisingly, I, I also thought back very long and hard about how after being bullied, after being tortured, how when I saw s signs of weakness in someone else and ha my status had gone up, I became a bully. And um, fortunately, it didn't go very far, but um, I, I hated, I mean, that was far worse for who I became, who I was going to be, than actually having been bullied. Being, being, being the bully is far worse mm. than being the bullied. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I've had tyrannical moments myself, I'm quite sure. Um, I think there's, a, there's, that, there's that link. I don't understand it very well, but yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a kid that's picked on and you have an opportunity in a moment to experiment with power, it's, it's seductive. And I think that... Um, I think it's, it's more of a passing phase, though, for, for those kids, because I think they've already, like, had built in some sort of empathetic response to being the underdog or connecting with the underdog. And yet, though... I mean, maybe. Think, I don't know do what you think. You think well, do you think some of these bullies were, are bullied at home by their fathers? Do you think there is a, there is a cycle here that is being... I mean, did you, did, you, did you glimpse in all this any kind of larger pattern? You know, I, I didn't. And I think that there's really mixed um, research about who are bullies and what do we know about bullies? Some, some studies I've seen say that these are like mini psychopaths on their way to a life of uh, crime and misery and you know, everything else. And others have said that it's actually quite the opposite, that most bullies are really well adjusted, um, leaders in their own little worlds and go on to get married and have good jobs and live happy so-called productive lives. So there's this, I don't think we really understand um, I think we don't really understand victims and we don't really, it's just this chaotic thing where we don't really get it. I think what we know is that um, the pursuit of power when you're in middle school and high school and elementary school is significant. Um, this, we filmed in a school that had a really good climate and school culture. Um, it's not in the movie. Um, in fact, we stole some of the scenes from it to illustrate Kelby's story. Um, but the cool kids in that school were kind. So they had, they had had a long ramp up of like social and emotional learning, incredible mentoring, and really good leadership. And so the end result was that 
actually the, the, the leadership, the most popular kids, were popular because they were kind. So I think it's absolutely possible that you can change the paradigm, but I think the converse, if you have this kind of um, Lord of the Flies environment, that that's, that's what's going to be the way that those kids do deal with social laddering. And, um, and so I don't, you know, it's very, I mean, I don't know all those. Those answers are like way complicated. The paradox is those who survive it, as you said, become film directors. Uh, or writers. They, or, or critics, uh, <laughs> where they take out their, their rage on other innocent people, um, vulnerable people. Or, um, or they go work for Apple, right? <laughs> and become billionaires. Or, or um, do you want to talk about uh, the speaker at the, uh, the event at the Paley Center the other night? Sure. Um, we had an extraordinary New York screening, um, and one of the uh, guests that introduced the film was Meryl Streep, which was like, wow, it's insane. I mean, this is like, like, can I backtrack a second? Like, I, I'm a documentary filmmaker that lives in the, do I mean, in the documentary ghetto. I'm wearing, like, a jacket that just got given to me by Gucci. Like, this shit does not happen. Like, it makes no sense to me. It's, like, insane. Like, we made, this, we made this movie on ticky-tacky. I mean, I shot it myself. I mean, I had a, a tattered camera bag and a Canon 5D Mark II, and this movie was made on, on nothing. And that's, my, that's where I come from. Um, so suddenly you're at this event, and there's click, 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 photographers and Meryl Streep, and you're like, wow. Like, it, you're just, it's just awesome and extraordinary. And, and I mean, that's a lot, you know, Kudos to the Weinstein Company and so many of the great things that have happened to us. But so Meryl Streep is introduced, and um, she tells the story about being bullied. Do you want to? Do you want to pick it up? Uh, you're doing a good job. <laughs> so she she um, she kind of grabs. You know, she she starts speaking, and you know, and, and she tells the story about being bullied, and how. And she said, and I don't know if you remember, but she was dismissive of it the way she told it. It was as if she was playing it out as it wasn't such a big deal. But she, in, in this way that she's sort of making light of it, she describes hiding and being, being up in a tree to, to escape from her bullies. There's the, one, she said, there was one bully, one but she bully. did not name him. One she bully, did not name, sorry. but he was her, her tormentor and might well be behind many of her great performances. Yeah, maybe, perhaps, that's where she, she goes. And, and what, was, what was this bully doing to her? Uh, he was beating her legs with a stick until they bled. And then, we heard from a classmate of Streep's daughter, correct? And she came on and she said that, I'm sorry, what's her, it's Mamie, right? Mamie, Mamie Gummer? Yeah, yeah. She said that uh, she was a classmate of her daughter's and her daughter, um, always stood up to the bullies and protected those who were being bullied. And Meryl Streep said she hadn't, she'd never heard that about her daughter before, and I swear she choked back tears. She absolutely was choking back tears. Um, what a moment. So I think, that's where, I think that's where this film comes to life, is it's getting people to talk and share those stories and feel like they're, that that's okay to do. I, I feel like I'm in a therapist chair here. I'm just... Uh, <laughs> It's, uh, can we, since we're in an Apple store, can we talk a little bit about the, the process of your filming? Um, you, how did you convince schools to, uh, most administrators wouldn't go near this film, correct? Especially the ones who had... In terms of in, allowing it to be made or in terms of showing... In terms of allow, both allowing it to be made and speaking to you about their a pattern of, of neglect. This is a very complicated process to make this film. Um, the school district that let us do this film are, I think is actually a model district on many levels. I mean, that's the, that's the irony of this, right? Is you see this um, failure by this administrator, you see this bullying that goes on, yet you have a school district that has you know, been doing anti-bullying work for 10 years, that's open enough and brave enough to say, go ahead and do it and we'll learn from this. And that's very, it's extremely rare, and created a, an agreement and contract with us that said that we will let you film this, we'll give you editorial control, and we will, we will let the chips fall where they may, and we will hope that it will make us better. I mean, that's amazing. And so, 
I mean, people get mad at me because I defend this, this, I'm not defending her actions, but I'm defending the fact that, that this movie was made in a school district that was willing to be brave. Um, so in that sense, we were very, you know, many, many places said no to us. Um, but, you know, we didn't have so much, you know, it, it's not so hard to interview administrators and, and folks in education. I mean, right now we have um, the biggest names in education are partners with us on this film. The unions, the trade organizations, the National Association of Elementary and Secondary School Principals. This is not like, you know, Superman pitted, right, against the teachers' union and, and drew this sort of war in a way between um, kids in the pursuit of education and teachers that were standing in the way. And I don't want that. That's not at all what we set out to do or what I'm trying to do. We want these, we want um, every school teacher, every administrator to be our partner in um, looking at this and seeing what's in it for them. Is there something in it for their students? Is there something in there for their professional development, for their staff? And I hope that that unfolds in an organic and, and exciting way. Um, but because that's where change is going to happen. I mean, if you have, you know, if you, you know what, what happens sometimes, and this is where the reporting comes in, and then the, the sort of what the media story's been for the last two years, is that the narrative of bullying has been crisis. And so the response to bullying has been PR people for school districts doing crisis management. Instead of talking about what's really going on, they're working to save their asses from a lawsuit because somebody's dead. And so the lesson is like tossed aside because everyone's just trying to protect. And I think we have an opportunity to like use this film to get people talking to each other outside of crisis. And that's something that I'm excited about. Before I turn it over to a Q&A, I just want to, with, with, with you guys, I just want to say, point out that Tyler, who killed himself, um, uh, whose dad we see extensively interviewed, the administrators did not go to a meeting called called in the town to discuss the That's issue, right. right? The school administrators did not, and I assume would not speak to you about That's what was going on. They, they ducked everything, right? That's correct. And they, their rationale, did they have any? I think that's exactly it. I think they were in, in this like denial and crisis management. I mean, um, I actually think that's one of the more powerful scenes in the film. Um, that meeting, yes. Yeah, the town hall meeting. Um, so, you know, to, to share with you guys, five weeks after Tyler passed away, um, now this is, this is how crazy this situation was. Kids mocked him after his death in this school. They showed up at school with nooses, I mean, not every kid, but there were multiple kids, as I understand it, that showed up with nooses around their necks and were not taken out of school or punished or, you know, it just, the whole context of this sounds to me like it was just like utterly un incomprehensible. Now the family, this is a very gentle family. This, the, David Long, who you spoke about, I mean, he's 30 years something in the US military. I mean, this is a, a family with deep roots in the community, in the area that, you know, and, and they quietly and determinedly with local partners in, in, in government called and asked for a town hall meeting to talk about bullying in the schools. And, you know, local police were there, town officials, city officials, um, and they asked the district and school to participate in the community conversation. So about 150 people came. Not one person, not one person from the schools came. They left all the chairs empty on the side where they were supposed to be, right? I don't know if they did that, they just didn't come. And so, and that's, so that's like a, that's like yet another, it's like, it, it, imagine, that, and that's where that, that pursuit of justice is. That family feels so wrong. They fought for so long to get the school to act on behalf of Tyler, as they tell it. And then they're still being reasonable after his death and asking for a conversation so that they can make things better for their two children that are still in those schools that are living and all the other kids and nobody comes. So if there's a disconnect, what illustrates it more clearly than that moment? What can, what can, uh, what do you guys want to know? 
I have a microphone. I'll pass it to you. Hi, Lee. I'm curious. I had read in an interview that you had been bullied, and you've mentioned it here. So I'm curious on how your life experiences shaped your storytelling as a filmmaker. How did it influence the film? And then how did all this affect your crew, and how did you keep them together as, as the director? Um, I think that... So I've shared that I was bullied, um, which, in, which I think was the motivator behind doing this film. Um, I'd like to think that the better work that I've done in my life is seeking an answer to this question. And the question is, what is it that moves people off of the sidelines? What is it that gets people um, to act? And so my first film, David, I don't know if you remember Amandla, which was my first film, which was about the role that um, Freedom Songs played in the a struggle against apartheid in South Africa. That was, essentially, that was for me, that was the central question was, why is it that you have, is it really, is it this act of this communal act of singing and song that gets people to like fight for 40 years and stand in this nonviolent movement with love and sort of create this new and birth this new country, right? Um, I think with Bully, that's the same sort of central question is what is it, that, how can we get people to act on behalf of the underdog? act on behalf of someone that's struggling in this way? Um, it's a sort of roundabout answer to your question. I think that um, perhaps because this was such a personal journey, um, my crew was oftentimes just me. Um, my producer, Cynthia Lowen, was um, oddly, you know, was with me for most of the Sioux City scenes, but almost, for, in fact, for everything else, I was alone. Um, and so, and often it was just me shooting. So it was a very solitary experience. Often I would trek out with my bag and go meet a family and start working with them and filming and, and seeing what was uh, unraveling with that story. Um, later we became a much bigger team. We became a post-production team and we had editors and consultants and advisors. And now we have a whole movement that we're sort of trying to birth and we have you know, outreach directors and coordinators and campaign managers, and of course we have our, now we have the Weinstein Company, and so um, it's become a bigger vision, but maybe it had to start out as that very, very small kind of sprout. Because I was insane. I shot for like 140 days or something like that. I mean, it was, it was, I mean. Um, I, I'm, because I'm losing my mind, I, I, I want to recommend to everybody a book, the name of which I forget, about a woman. <laughs> That's a great recommendation. Uh, well, but I'll, I'll tell you about it. It was about a woman who was brutally raped, uh, along with her sister, uh, in Brookline, Massachusetts, when she was 14 or 15. The police didn't really believe her, didn't take it seriously, although it turned out years later to have been a serial rapist. She became a... Um, someone whose specialty was going around and interviewing the most uh, notorious terrorists and, and doing profiles of how people can so casually inflict cruelty on other, what was inside their minds when they, when they were doing this. She never connected her childhood experience to her choice of what she, what she wanted to do with her life until she wrote this book. So I don't know the name, but it's one of the best books I've read all year. So. I commend it to you as an example well, I'm, of how... I'm, I'm dying to find a new project, <laughs> I will, so that, that I will, could be I will, perfect. I will, I will give it to you because it's a stunning example of how somebody can convert something like yeah. this into a lifelong you know, quest. Lee, I just want to congratulate you on what looks like a, a clearly a, a very powerful film. I hope that it, it makes a difference. Um, Thank you. I'm flooded with many questions, uh, but mostly I'm wondering... Um, whether through your, through your research and, and through your filming, whether you thought this was uh, sort of a Western phenomenon, like do you, does this happen in other parts of the world? Um, and then my other question is, uh, watching that uh, vice principal you know, deal with that situation was, was definitely, it, it seemed really silly. I was wondering if you thought that, uh, you, you felt that they're, do they think they're actually making a difference or are they just you know, trying to, cover their ass in a sense, in a sense. Uh, thank you for, for support and for those questions. Um, it's totally global. It's absolutely 100% everywhere that I'm aware of. Um, 
It has different sort of shapes in different places. Oddly enough, like multiple, multiple French people have told me that, that in France they don't stand for this. Now, I can't confirm that, but... Um, <laughs> You know, we have all this international sub-dynamics to this story. Like, every province in Canada gave us a PG, for example. Um, but here we're, we're R. Um, the Parisians made constant fun of my accent when I tried to speak. I found them all terrible bullies. I've never they, you may be right. And um, they, you know, they could just be that French ego. Um, I think in Japan, for example, I've been told that it's utterly, insanely brutal, that if you don't fit that mold, I mean, because ultimately a lot of this is about fitting into the cultural norm or that in-group or, you know, um, in Japan, like, kids that are outsiders are tortured, like, beyond even what we understand or I understand happens in sort of in, in what's in my brain. Um, I would hope that, you know, this is a film that can travel or that it is... Um, other countries will, other filmmakers in other countries will make their own bully projects in a way. Um, maybe we've set a, a sort of format that others can follow uh, or encourage them to make, tell those stories. You know, media is a funny thing. Like now that this movie's hyped up, I guarantee you there'll be like 10 more documentaries about bullying and a couple features. And, um, and I suppose that's all a good thing. And if it, if, you know, if, if, uh, if we can spark that overseas, I'm sure it's like, someone's told me there's countries where it's like, they haven't, they've talked about it so little that there's not even a word for it. Um, so I think we, we've, we have a way to go with the conversation. And then you asked another question. I was just wondering whether you thought that during that interaction, whether you felt the vice principal, whether you, you uh, felt that she thought she might be actually making a difference or if it was just, you know, sort of. I, I, I'm not even gonna try and speak for her. Um, I think, I think, my impression was like, this is it, right here, right before me, this is what happens. This is that thing, this is that thing that happens over and over and over, that um, she's not on its face doing anything horribly wrong, she's just not hearing or choosing to see what's actually happening. Um, and in so doing, you know, what I thought was extraordinary about that scene what, you know, today and when it was happening was the courage of the boy Cole to stand up to her and to say, you're wrong and I'm not going to just walk away this time and I'm not going to just take it and I'm not just going to shake his hand as if everything's okay and like let this just be another moment where my dignity is, is crushed. Like to me, and maybe it was because there was a camera there that he had that courage. I don't know, but that's what I was thinking. Do you think that there's any, uh, let me just, one, one quick thing, do you think that there's any, ha, have you thought about a sort of Darwinian thing where like the herd identifies the quote unquote freak and tries to purge it and this sort of, go, there's this primal impulse to bully the, 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 the one who doesn't fit in, that it, that it, that it crosses cultures, that it, it goes back to primitive man? I mean, possibly, and this is where I'm like, I have no clue. Next film. I, I don't, I really don't. I mean, I, you know, I, I, there's this part of me that just really wants to believe with, with all of my might, because I've seen it, I've seen schools beat this. I've seen it overcome, that it's, it, it, perhaps it, it goes back in time, perhaps it's, but like everything else, like are we not moving forward ever so slowly to where now, like, rape is not okay. But a hundred years ago, women were expected to live with it and not dare challenge or, or bring, you know. I think that, like, notch by notch, we make progress and we bury these things that are, like, that were once considered um, things that you had to bear with shame and now we can sort of address it. And if the more people that speak up, the more people that are inspired or, or given a voice through something like this or other initiatives that are happening, that that's a good thing and that we can see change happen. Um, I guess my big question is I know observing something, you know, like you said, that you think maybe he got, you know, more courage because you were filming him. And I know that when you observe a thing, you kind of affect it in its own way. But 
more specifically, like in a situation like that, or I'm sure tons of them that you filmed, like did you find yourself like have a hard time like not getting involved and talking to that woman and going like, this is all you're gonna do? Like, it just seemed like it had to be a really hard thing to like watch and not try to intervene all the time. And I wonder what your experiences were with that while filming this. We walked a really fine line between like having sort of, com you know, I mean, we talked a lot to some of those administrators as we were making the film about what was going on, what we were seeing, what we were filming, what, our, what was, you know. Um, and I felt like we kept sort of trying to say like, guys, hello, wake up. Like, Alex is really struggling. We're in your school. We're making a movie about bullying. Hello, like, come on, like, come, you know, like, like, Here's your chance, like, step up. And, you know, so that's what's really freaking, you know, almost like if, I, if I'm really just to like think back, it's like, you have a film crew in your school making, now, now they might have thought that we were a total joke. And that here's this guy in flip flops with a, with a still with a Canon 5D Mark II, how could this possibly ever amount to anything? Now, now that may be possible, but, you know, you, you would have thought that they would have made the connect um, and, and gone triple, double, quadruple effort to be like, we're going to go totally, we're going to get this, you know, we're really going to be on top of it. But, you know, these, they, you know, we really, we did, we, we fell right into the walls of that building. And I think people really stopped noticing us after a while. We have time for uh, two more questions. We're going to take one from here and then from the back. Since the movie is now unrated, how do you think the theater owners will respond to kids who want to buy tickets? And do you think they'll let in 10-year-olds this Saturday <laughs> at the Angelica <laughs> at 2.30? Uh-oh. Well, it sounds like nothing's going to hold you back. What's your name? Zachary. Zachary. Thanks for coming today. Uh, I actually think that you're probably a little too young to see the film, and but that are you with your is that your father? And I think, but you guys can talk about it and make a decision. It sounds like you might be up for it, but um, I think that it's pretty. What you're going to disagree with me? You can. Do you think there's a back door at the Angelica? There might be a back door at the Angelica. All right, clearly is going to hold you back. So, and it looks like you have a, a wonderful father sitting by your side who's going to support you through it. I strongly um, disagree that he's too young. You do? I strongly okay. disagree. I think you'll be upset by a lot of it, but I think it will make you stronger to see it. Although it sounds like you're already pretty fierce. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, well then, um, the deal at the Angelica is that they're letting kids in, as it is, so you'll be fine. Um, and at the lows. Wow, is that, the, now is that public? Have you just spilled any beans? Or no, is no, that, no. They're I think public, that's public with that? The Angelica is letting folks in. They're not going to um, stop anyone, regardless of age. And AMC has um, announced the most, uh, they're going to be very rigorous here. They've, 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 they've got triple ID checking. And what they're requiring is a note from an adult that a kid must be carrying in his hand, and it can that be handwritten. Like school, doesn't it? And it can be handwritten. And uh, I think what they're saying is, well, come on then. I really do. I think they've taken a pretty, pretty brave position. So thank you. And thanks for coming today. Last question. Hi, um, I work at a school and a number of us will actually be coming to see the film tomorrow and a majority of our students either fall somewhat within the Asperger's or autism diagnosis. And I think it's kind of interesting what you were talking about earlier because where our kids would be made fun of in more mainstream settings, even within our own, there's still somewhat a, like a ranking system that happens where, again, most of these kids unfortunately would be picked on in a public school, but within our own, it's still kind of like a battle of like us versus them. Um, but I think in general, two things that are rarely addressed in terms of school bullying are um, the adults' understanding and participation and such. Um, 
in less um, open environments or more conservative ones, a lot of times the attitudes of the adults are passed on. So if you have an administrator or a teacher who's homophobic and a kid making fun for being gay, not only is the student actively being made fun of, but then the adults in action sort of just like compounds it even further. And I think a lot of adults fail to realize too, like even growing up, I'm in my 20s, but there was a separation. You would go to school, perhaps you got made fun of, but at the end of the day you went home. And while technology is amazing because it sort of allows to bring awareness to things like this, it's also ever evolving. So it's not like you're just being made fun of from homeroom to the bus ride home. There's Facebook, there's Twitter. So I think for a lot of kids, it's constant and it's almost 24 seven. So I think with, in terms of suicide, for some kids there honestly feels like there's no longer any sort of escape from it. Well, thanks, thanks for that, sharing that. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of ideas there. I'm just gonna sort of pick one and respond to it. Um, in East Middle, where we shot, I, s I felt like every kid that had an IEP was being bullied. Um, Alex is on the spectrum, who's the, um, the kid in the film. We chose not to disclose it, and I hope that was uh, the right decision. We debated it uh, back and forth, talked to lots of people, and ultimately I felt like I didn't want anyone to sort of put a label on anybody. You know, I wanted them to just be experienced for who they were and so that there's nothing to sort of explain away the bullying or the mistreatment. Um, I can tell you that we're working extensively with like just about every GLBT organization there is to sort of provide a response for this one but also for the first time we've brought together all the major organizations that work with kids of special needs. So we're working with the National Center for Learning Disabilities, with Autism Speaks, with Ability Path, with Pacer Center. And we've brought them together and asked them to come up with a powerful response to bullying for these kids and families because they've actually generally as a whole organizationally not really been on top of the, the, the impact of bullying on those kids. And so I'm very excited about that and, I th and, and we're, we're going to be launching an incredible tool set um, for parents and, and kids with special needs because I think that that hasn't really been talked about adequately. Is, and, and you're lucky, I mean, you guys are at a school in New York City for um, kids on the spectrum, right? That's, that's the, the focus of the school? Um, it's twice exceptionality, because kids are currently gifted and talented, but also have learning Great. Um, you know, in, 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 as I understand it, in most public schools, you know, these folks are just, are mainstreamed with whatever help they can get through their IEP. And so I think that there's a, there's a, a very real and important conversation to be had um, in that community. And I'm, and I'm excited, I'm really excited about that partnership. Um. Guys, I, I think you should see the movie, but even more important than seeing it, you have to talk about it. You have to tell your students if you're a teacher, your teachers if you're a student, your friends. Um, talk about it because as I was watching the movie, I was thinking maybe we can evolve. Maybe, maybe we can all develop the kind of empathy that 10,000 years ago we couldn't afford to have for various reasons. Uh, and huh. this film could actually be uh, a key in uh, a stage in this, uh, a station in this, in this process of evolution. So thank you all so much for coming. Thank you.